You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Demand your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. MTV music, television, video music, 24 hours a day, and it's stereo. Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV. What did you tell them? So, Hollywood, I know this about you, but the rest of the world might not. You are very much an MTV generation kid, correct? I am, but I didn't get in on the ground floor, right? So, MTV starts in 81. I'm not really getting there till about 84, but uh, there's a lot of my friends that didn't get into it later because they didn't have cable. And uh, we were lucky because we were in San Francisco, so we had cable. Yeah, once I was in early 84, then I'm hooked. Yeah, I'm an MTV kid the whole way. Yeah. So, at the end of June... We released what we were kind of calling a new series, which was When Rock Ruled the Charts. And the idea behind it is we pick a single date and go to the Billboard charts, and we take a look at that and discuss the music that was happening on that date. And that date usually surrounds some piece of musical history. For the first episode, it just happened to be the day that the Skid Row album Slave to the Grind debuted at number one. So we looked at that particular date. Coming up for the next two weeks, we are looking at first, August 1st, 1981. Now, that date doesn't really mean too much as far as the charts are concerned, but what it means is that's the day that MTV launched music television. Then we're going to go four years ahead for next week's episode and look at 8185, correct? That's right. You know, we're sticking with the Hot 100 here, like you mentioned, because MTV is doing videos. When we did that Skid Row episode, we did the Billboard 200 because we were talking albums. So we kind of bounce on both charts, but this time we're doing all songs. So it's going to be an interesting episode. We've got it really well laid out, and it'll be really cool to see what was happening the day that MTV launches, and then four years down the road in next week's episode when MTV has sort of had their impact because it's been noted in the MTV books and in various documentaries that when MTV first hit the ground, 
it took them a long time to build up steam. Cable wasn't what it was when MTV first launched. So it took them a long time to kind of get a grip on what was happening. Uh, and they noted that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of four and five years for them to build what became this MTV empire, so to speak. So on August 1st, 1981, FM radio basically is running the charts. Whatever's happening on radio stations is what's happening in the charts. MTV really had zero impact the day they launched, obviously, right? Yeah, and this whole visual representation of the artist. You know, some say it wasn't out there until MTV came on. I don't know about that because... Top of the Pops is out already. Hard Day's Night's already been done. The Monkees are out there. American Bandstand's out there. Soul Train's out there. Pop Clip's out there. So there's things happening with visual representation of bands, but it's not happening at the level, obviously, that starts happening in the mid-80s and beyond. And I think this whole MTV piece of, look, we're going to go connect with the younger generation. We're going to make it rock at first and see how this thing flies because as people kind of put the visual art with the audio art that they're hearing, it will be a different experience. And obviously in the end, they were right. Well, and I don't want to get too far into this because we'll discuss it, but I got an important question that ties into everything you just said, which is, do you think all the FM bands, because there was no MTV at the time, this is why they can have a career in 2021 and just have one person that was originally in the band? or nobody that was originally in the band because there's not so much face to go with the name. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're faceless bands. And there's no way, if you grew up watching MTV in the mid-80s, you know who the four members of Motley Crue is. Nobody's snowing you. That's not happening. So, but come on, do I know who the original members of Grateful Dead or I don't have a clue who's in the Grand Funk Railroad. All I know is Bruce is in it because he was a KISS member. <laughs> that's it. I don't know who's supposed to be in it. And I think that's true. It's like there's these 70s bands for some reason, many of them are faceless, where in the 60s, it seemed like they were almost artists along with being a visual, right? So if that makes sense. So like, I think everybody knows who Jim Morrison is, but I don't know if they could tell you who the other guys are. Right. Everybody knows who Jimi Hendrix is. But not many people could tell you who the other two guys are. Like, there's that in the 60s, but that didn't seem to really be there in the 70s. It's interesting for sure. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight is going to be a little left of center of what we do here on the Grown Up Rock podcast, but not so far away. We're going to look at more of a blues artist as opposed to a hard rock or metal artist, but she's a rock blues artist. And I'm talking about an artist named Samantha Fish. Samantha Fish is a blues guitarist from Nashville. She's got a new album coming out called Faster on September 10th. Check out this tune called Twisted Ambition.
so that song, it's cool. I got to be in a mood for stuff like this. This is the blues that I like. It's a little more rocking. It's not too guitar heavy. Like sometimes Stevie Ray Vaughan and stuff like that gets super guitar heavy. It's not so blatantly like depressing. Like some of the old, old blues, like gets really depressing and sometimes gets very repetitive. Like I got it. Somebody stole your dog today. Do I got to hear somebody stole your dog today? Eight different ways with eight different notes. No, I don't need to hear it that way. So it's kind of nice to have a blues rock mix. I like the song. I got to be in a mood to listen to it, but I do like the song. Yeah, there seems to be sort of a, I don't know if resurgence is the right word, but there's definitely a new breed of blues artist and a lot of female blues artists coming out right now, like the Larkin Pose and a Samantha Fish and so on, where it's very blues oriented, but it's sort of modern blues. Uh, and I like the groove and the drums in this tune. I like her image and I like the whole presentation of it. If you get a chance, check out the video versus just the song, but I dig it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So getting on to the episode, 8181 MTV goes live. Now, notice, 8181. Okay, I know I'm a numbers nerd, <laughs> but that's a little weird. Just saying. Also realize a new wave of British heavy metal is happening but really right now it's underground. You see some of those videos later on in life, but in the beginning, I'm sure they were playing some of the videos, but this isn't the stuff that's on the charts right now. How old are you in 8181? I am a whole 14 years old, baby. So what's that put you in the 10th grade? What? Eighth grade? What's it put you at? Part of 81. I'm a freshman. Part of 81. I'm a sophomore, right? I haven't even turned 12 yet. So I'm still in grade school here. We had just moved to San Francisco about eight months before this. So we moved right at the end of 80. Uh, where were you living in 81? I'm still living in my hometown in Florida. And now this is where, you know, where we are in age, where we are in our schooling, you know, what's important to me at this point, you know, I'm still like uh, Thundercats. Uh, I'm trying to get action figures, <laughs> right? I'm really, I'm super into Hot Wheels. I've still got all my Hot Wheels from when I was a kid. Uh, cause you know, my son played with them for a while to figure my grandkids would play with them at some point. But, uh, yeah, I'm still kind of into toys. My guess is you're moving on to like girls and music and stuff like that. Yeah. So this is a really, really pivotal time in the grown up rock years for me, right? I just hit high school, but I always kind of laugh where people are like, ah, I was into music when I was eight years old. I can't say that honestly. And even in 81, I wasn't fully engulfed in music. So in 1981, the most important thing to me, especially my freshman year of high school, was baseball. I was a jock. That's all I did was practice baseball. And so music sort of was there in the locker rooms. And I discovered some bands hanging out with some of the older kids in high school, especially on the baseball team. But I wasn't fully engulfed in music at this point in time. I was just kind of finding my way, I guess. So what we're going to talk about in these two episodes, as we mentioned before, is we're going to be looking at the Billboard Hot 100. And we're not really going to talk about rock, hard rock, metal type songs. Now, some of these are a stretch. I get it. But 81, there wasn't really a lot of hard rock on the charts. 85, things change a little bit. And that's the reason we're splitting it up with that four years. 
Now, MTV, kind of like what we mentioned, they were trying to be rock radio. They really were rock-centric. Now, by the time I get into it in 84, it's weaned away from that because what happens over time, whether we like it or not, if something's going to be small and stay small, I don't think anybody cares how it goes. But once it gets big and once it starts making a lot of money, then there's inclusivity involved and everybody's got to get involved. And MTV started hearing some things past 81 going into the next few years from white and black artists about how fair it was being, right? So things change after a while. So we wanted to kind of get a snapshot of what does it look like on the first day. And then in the second episode, we'll get to where's it become four years later. Okay. So going to the billboard 100, 8181, the first rock song on the chart we're going to talk about was number 95 on the chart. It's headed on the way down because it'd been on the chart for about seven weeks and it had peaked out at 55. The Kid Is Hot Tonight, Loverboy. Now, this is the second single off the debut album written by Paul Dean, Bernie Aubin. As far as I'm concerned, there's no reason to hate on Loverboy except for you're trying to make yourself look cool. They got some great songs, but even Wiki classifies this as bubblegum pop. To Wiki, I say, fuck you. Next on the chart at number 92, just sticking with the rock, is Take It On The Run by REO Speedwagon. This is also on the way down. It's been on the chart for 20 weeks because it peaked at number five. And this is the second single from the Diamond album, High Fidelity. Oh boy, let's get this out of the way. Hollywood calls REO Speedwagon's album High Fidelity many times during this podcast. All occurrences may not make the edit, but Hollywood, the album is actually called High Infidelity. Hollywood, repeat after me. High Infidelity, High Infidelity, High Infidelity. Now, back to our show. One of REO Speedwagon's classic songs. The single actually went gold. The song's music video was the ninth uh, video ever played on MTV, and it only played for 12 seconds because it went black. MTV had some issues <laughs> the first couple of days of going out, coming back, going out. Not exactly sure why, but uh, maybe we can talk about that. Third song, sticking with the rock, we're going to get to number 82. And right now, this song's on the way up because this is its debut week. A Woman in Love, It's Not Me by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So this is a second single from the platinum fourth released Hard Promises. Songs written by Petty and Campbell. Uh, during the recording, interestingly enough, John Lennon was supposed to record in the same studio next door. Petty had never met John Lennon, a hero of his, and it never happened because Lennon got shot and never made it to the studio. Isn't that crazy? Kind of depressing, but yeah. On number 75, on the way up the chart, Don Felder with Heavy Metal taking a ride. And it only been on the charts a couple of weeks right now, but it peaked to 43 later on. So the Eagles break up and Don Felder's one of the supposed rockers. So he does this thing, heavy metal taking a ride, which is also supposed to be a secondary theme song to the animated film, heavy metal. This is Felder's only charting hit. His first studio album wasn't even released till 83. So he just kind of did this one song and he kind of moved on. And then at number 63, it was headed on the way down because it had peaked at number 52 by being on the charts for nine weeks. Fantasy Girl by 38 Special. Yes, I know. 38 Special is at Hard Rock. Just hang with me. I'm not sure Don Felder's Hard Rock. I'm not sure REO Speedwagon's Hard Rock, but we're trying. Second single from their fourth album called Wild-Eyed Southern Boys. And this album went platinum thanks to Hold On Loosely. And, you know, 38 Special, I'm hit and miss with them. It depends. So what do you think about these five songs and which of these songs do you like best? Turn Me Loose was the first Loverboy tune I heard and became an instant fan because I was gravitating in 81 to this guitar sound, this distorted guitar sound, which Turn Me Loose has, right? Da -da 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 -da. So Kid Is Hot Tonight, I went out, I bought the record, love it. 
Take It on the Run, Ario Speedwagon, High Fidelity was definitely an album that was around me a lot in 1981. It had a lot of tunes on it. So Take It on the Run, probably not my favorite on that record, but we might talk about one that is my favorite a little bit later on. A Woman in Love, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I was not a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan at this time in my life. I came on much later in life to Tom Petty, but I love A Woman in Love now. I just didn't love it then. Heavy Metal Taking a Ride, Don Felder. Loved it from the get-go. Used to go to the movie at midnight with all my friends. So checking out Heavy Metal and uh, the song. Yeah, loved it from the get-go. Fantasy Girl. Never heard this tune. <laughs> I got to tell you, 38 Special. I mean, I know who 38 Special is. Hold on loosely, even wild eyed Southern boys. So I knew they were a Southern rock band, but I can honestly say I'm not sure I ever remember this song, Fantasy Girl. My favorite out of all these probably is going to be Heavy Metal from Don Felder. Wow. My favorite out of all these is Kid is Hot Tonight, Lover Boy. The other four songs are kind of meh to me, to be honest.
Okay, going back to the chart at number 60, headed on the way down, winning by Santana. It'd been on the chart 17 weeks. It had peaked at number 17. This song's actually written by Russ Ballard for his uh, 76 album, but it didn't hit the charts until Santana released it. And he released it as a third single off of his platinum selling 12th album, Z-Bop. And at this point, Alex Leiterwood is the vocalist. So a uh, good song. You know, my guess is 10 people hear this song. Two out of 10 could tell you it's Santana. The other eight have no idea who sang this song. Cause I would tell you six months ago, I didn't know Santana sang this or Santana didn't sing it, but I didn't know it was a Santana song to be honest. So just one of those weird songs at number 59. Headed on the way down because it had been on the charts for 11 weeks and it peaked at number 34, a life of illusion, Joe Walsh. Dude, I don't get Joe Walsh. I'll never get Joe Walsh. I get it. He's supposed to be another one of the rocker guys from the Eagles. It's from the album, There Goes a Neighborhood, which is unbelievably his fifth solo album because he was a solo artist before joining the Eagles and he was releasing solo albums while in the Eagles. The same guy who co-wrote this, co-wrote Rocky Mountain Way, I think both songs are meh. There's mariachi trumpets in this thing. It got to number one on the mainstream rock charts. I don't even know how that happened. That's all name recognition right there. At number 54, it's in its peak week. It's only been on the charts four weeks, and this was the highest it got. Nothing Never Goes As Planned by Styx. This is the third single off the triple platinum seller, Paradise Theater. Definitely rock. Dennis DeYoung on vocals. But this single was kind of considered a failure because the best of times and too much time my hands did way better on the chart. But uh, this is that one. You go to work, you go to work, you go to work. You know, it's that one. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like that too. And at number 52 on the way up, Jefferson Starship with a song called Stranger. It had only been on the charts four weeks by now and it goes up just a little. It peaks up at 48 a couple of weeks later. It's off of their six studio albums called Modern Times. And Grace Lick had just come back last minute after being gone three years, does some backing vocals, and she shares the lead vocals on this song with Mickey Thomas. By the way, if you never heard Mickey Thomas, one of the most underrated singers ever. That guy, I will tell you, I put him up there with Steve Perry. He's got that good of a voice. It's just not a lot of people hear it. And Mickey doesn't have number one hits out there, but the guy has an incredible voice. At this point, Jefferson Starship is still more rock. They become a lot more pop later. And by the time the mid eighties and late eighties come, they're 100% pop, but this album also had find your way back on it. So it did pretty well. Tell me your thoughts on those four songs and which one you like best. So I can remember calling the radio stations when I was younger requesting winning. I love that song so much at the time that was released on the radio. A Life of Illusion, Joe Walsh. I can't say that I honestly remember that song in 81. Definitely, as time went on and I got more familiar with the Eagles and Joe Walsh, I grew to love this song. It's fun. Think of Joe Walsh as kind of like the rock version of Ace Fraley. He's sort of the goofy guy. He's a little bit goofier than Ace is, and he doesn't sing that great. But I mean, Joe Walsh is rock and roll. This is the guy that was throwing, you know, TVs out of hotel rooms. And so I love Joe. Nothing ever goes as planned. I had no idea that this was ever released as a single. And I was a huge stick span in 81. Paradise Theater was definitely one of my top 20 records in high school. I mean, it's almost a perfect record to me. And I love this song, but I had no idea that it was ever released as a single. I remember definitely too much time on my hands and the best of times. Stranger, I was not familiar with. I love finding your way back. 
Jefferson Starship. This is right before they become Starship, I think. I had to go listen to this tune because I really didn't recognize it. And when I listened to it, I was like, well, I'm vaguely familiar with this song. I kind of remember it. I think if I looked at these four songs, I would probably have to say winning is my favorite song as much as I like the sticks. But I requested that song a lot on the radio and I was a big fan of winning. And Mickey Thomas, you mentioned him. I recently saw him live and he can still sing. He opened up for, of all people, Brett Michaels. Good Lord. It, it was it was Mickey Thomas and John Roth, who plays in Winger. So he was playing guitar in, in Mickey's band. He's got a female singer that's really good that does all the gray slick stuff. But it was good. He was entertaining. Yeah, I would say out of these four, nothing ever goes as planned as surprisingly good for sticks for me anyway. Uh, but I got to go with Winning. Winning is the better song out of these four. <laughs>
All right, the next four at number 47. Some band called Blackfoot had a song called Fly Away. It actually even did better than 47. It peaked at 42 later on. This is more like Southern Rock. It's the first single off their fifth studio album called Marauder. If I saw Blackfoot walking into the streets of my city, I'd have no idea who they are. This is what I'm talking about, about the 70s bands, and nobody has a clue who they are, what they are. I kind of recognize the name Ricky Medlock because he was in Leonard Skinner a couple of times. But you want to talk about a tribute band, Blackfoot's still out there. They don't have a hint of an original member. I think they're like all within like the last four or five years type members. So whatever. I don't know. That song was okay. Oh, heaven forbid we talk 1981 and don't mention Rush. So at number 44, their peak week, because they didn't get any higher, Tom Sawyer by Rush, you know, first single off their multi-platinum moving pictures. I get it. This song to me is the least tolerable, but I'm going to tell you right now, gun to my head, I could not get through this album in one sitting. No way. Couldn't happen. Rush is ultimate meh for me. At number 38, it's on the way up because it actually peaks at number three later on in life. Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. And this is still Stevie Nicks' highest charting solo single ever. This album was on the charts for like three years because it had hits like Leather and Lace and Edge of 17. She had an HBO special. And I guess this song, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are cutting it in the studio. They're working with this guy named Jimmy Levine. Jimmy really likes the song, says, hey, you should have Stevie try it. Stevie really likes the song. She comes and just lays the vocal over the track they had already recorded. So basically this is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers featuring Stevie Nicks, but then it ended up on a Stevie Nicks album. So uh, very interesting, but a good song. And at number 31, also on the way up because it peaks at number 17 a few weeks later, Fire Nice by Pat Benatar. This was the first single off her double platinum selling third studio album, Precious Time. This song got her her second Grammy for Best Female Rock Performance in 82, and this is the album that also has Promises in the Dark, and this album actually went number one uh, after a while. So those are four interesting songs. I like Fire Nice the best. How about you? Yeah, those are four very diverse tunes for sure. Okay, so let's start with Blackfoot. I'll give you a quick lesson. Ricky Medlock uh, was Blackfoot, and he was the original drummer way back before Leonard Skinner even really became anything. He auditioned, and he was their drummer. Leonard Skinner goes on. He's not the drummer. He goes and does Blackfoot. Leonard Skinner goes on and becomes the mega band that they were. Died in a plane crash, all yada, yada, yada. You know the other rest of the story. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. That's a little sad for dying in a plane crash. Yeah, everybody knows the story. It's kind of old news. So <laughs> Now the computer has to apologize for your insensitivity. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the punchline here. Unbelievable. We at Growing Up Rock Headquarters would like to apologize for the insensitivity from our hosts around this tragedy. Rest in peace. Ronnie Van Zant, Steve Gaines, Cassie Gaines, Dean Kilpatrick, Walter McCreary, and William Gray. Just understand these hosts are as dumb as they look. Now, let's finish the story. So the punchline is Ricky Medlock now has been the guitar player in Leonard Skinner for years and years at this point. So he sanctioned a new Blackfoot and helped write some of the music. And that's what's out there today. They've actually put out an album. And, and you're right. It's like people that have only been in the band for like the last few years. So, yeah, that's kind of a weird thing uh, that it's like a sanctioned tribute band. But the original guy helps write some of the music. I don't know. I never heard Fly Away. The only thing I know about Blackfoot is Train Train. 
and I love Train Train. So I put this song on. I've never heard this song in my life, period. End of story. I got to be honest, though. It's not a bad song. It's a Southern rock song. It's a little bit slower. Go check it out if you get a chance and see what you think. Fly Away by Blackfoot. Not a bad song. Tom Sawyer, Rush. What can be said? I'm a big Rush fan. Sonny hates him. Tom Sawyer, the only thing I can say about that is it's fatigue at this point, but it's part of moving pictures, which literally just rocketed Rush to super fandom here in the United States uh, with that album. And it is almost a perfect album. And it was a huge album in the baseball locker rooms for the team that I was on in 1981. This is kind of where I discovered a lot of Rush. Uh, hanging out in the locker rooms and practice and things like that. Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. I absolutely love this song. I think it's one of the fantastic duets of all time. I really, really like this song a lot. And I don't know if people really know, but Stevie really, really, really wanted to be in the Heartbreakers. She really wanted to be part of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And they just weren't going to have it. <laughs> she wasn't going to be part of their band, but she really wanted to be in with that group. Fire and Ice by Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar, I love. I've always loved Pat Benatar. I've talked about it before. Her music was instrumental in driving me down the path of guitar-driven rock and roll at a younger age for me. Probably my favorite out of these, and this was a little bit tough for me, but if I'm going to go back to 1981, Tom Sawyer is it for me. I mean, it's Rush. It's part of Moving Pictures. It was a huge deal uh, in 1981 for me. I'm hanging up now. <laughs> Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word. G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. We'll end on that note and take a quick break here and go into talking about the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. If you're not familiar with that, it's on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, then I guess it doesn't do you any good. But it's just a private group we have on Facebook where we discuss the podcast. We discuss the themes, the music. We get ideas from a lot of the people that are part of the group. It's a great group of people. There's not a lot of poison comments and things like that. It's just a, a good bunch of folks that talk about rock and roll, share new rock, old rock, concerts, things like that, books, things that uh, are all related. So if you get a chance, come on over and you'll answer a few rock and roll questions. We'll let you join and you can be part of the in crowd, as I like to call it. Also, if you want to help out the podcast, there's a few really easy ways to do that. One and two is go leave us a five-star review, either at Apple Podcast or at Podchaser. It helps us out if you go there, leave us a five-star review, tell us what you like about the show. And then also, everybody does their shopping at Amazon. It doesn't matter what you buy. You can buy a snowblower, a golf cart, or some new t-shirts. Whatever it is, if you'll just use our Amazon affiliate link, which is in the show notes, the Grown Up Rock Store, it takes you straight to the Amazon website and everything is the exact same. You use your account, you use whatever it is, but going through our link to get you to the Amazon website just gives us a little kickback on stuff that you pick up. 
and that's it. It doesn't cost you a penny more, but it helps us out a little bit and it goes towards our hosting fees. So it's as simple as that. Now, back to 1981. So sticking with the Billboard 100 rock songs, at number 30, on the way up, we got Who's Crying Now by Journey. Um, these guys have only been on the charts for about three weeks right now, so it's going to peak at number four at some point. But this is a lead-off single off of Escape. And Escape, by the way, has sold nine times platinum. So, you know, if they were to re-release it, it's got a shot to go diamond. It's got Don't Stop Believing, Stone and Love, Still They Ride, Mother, Father, Open Arms. I mean, come on. It would go number one today if it was released. All those songs have stood the test of time, and they would be in every movie today. And the scary part here is Steve Perry and Jonathan Cain are just getting started at this point. I mean, that's the crazy part. Yeah. They go through their trials and tribulations later on, but oh my God, if this songwriting team stays together for 20, 30 years, the songs that would have wrote would have been amazing. Right? So there's some amazing songs on this record. Who's crying now is definitely one of them. As this episode was being edited, Journey's Escape was certified diamond by the RIAA just in time for the album's 40th anniversary. From all of us at the Growing Up Rock Studios, congratulations, Journey. You deserve it. Number 27, On the Way Up, the breakup song by the Greg Kinn Band. So this had only been on the chart for about 11 weeks, so it still had a ways to go because it peaked at number 15. This was the second single off their sixth studio album called Rock Kin Roll. Get it? Greg Kinn does a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, the first single was Can't Stop Hurting Myself. It didn't do well. Nobody remembers the song anyway. The breakup song is still their second highest charting single to date because their biggest hit ever was Jeopardy in 83. It got to number two. At number 24, it's the peak week. Doesn't get any higher. Don't let them go about REO Speedwagon. So one of the things that REO Speedwagon did, which isn't affecting this chart yet, but absolutely affects REO the next couple of years, is when MTV was looking for videos, they only had like 120 to 250 videos, depending on who you believe in the biography. And somebody told REO, hey, we need videos. And they cut four on the same day. And even Kevin Cronin in the video was like, oh my God, some of those videos are horrible. But they knew they would get on rotation because the channel didn't have any videos. And they didn't care if three people saw them or three million people saw them. I think they looked at it, go get on the ground floor. And it really did end up helping them out later because high fidelity, it would have done well anyway. I don't know if it goes diamond without MTV. So I think MTV helps it a lot, but, uh, this is a great song and supposedly Kevin said it was the first song he wrote for the album. Uh, I don't know if that's believable or not, but who knows at number 22, also on the way up urgent by foreigner. It's only been on the charts for five weeks so far, and it's going to peak out at number four sooner or later. This is the first single off the multi-platinum seller called four. The album went number one because of jukebox hero urgent waiting for a girl like you. We've talked a ton about this record. There's no reason to hate on this song or record at all. And then at number 18, another guy who we talked about a lot lately, this wasn't the peak week. It actually peaked out at 17, the stroke by Billy Squire. This is the first single off his best-selling album. Don't say no. Now I got to say, no way this gets on radio today. Like the cancel culture that we live in, I don't know if the stroke makes it. Like we were talking about earlier, Pound Cake would make it by Van Halen. I don't think the strokes can make it either. But uh, uh, a great song uh, for the time. Let's put it that way. Your thought on those five songs. And my favorite, I think out of this, is Who's Crying Now? I got to go with Journey. You would go with a ballad, Poonie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Who's Crying Now off of Escape. I mean, what can be said about that album that Sonny didn't already say? Uh, we both have a lot of love for Journey. And Who's Crying Now, although it's a ballad, it's a great song. I just prefer the rock and stuff off of Escape as opposed to Who's Crying Now, but still a great song. Greg Kim Band, I can't believe Pooney didn't mention. I think Greg Kim is a Bay Area guy, right? Yeah, he is, but I figured you'd mention it if I didn't. Yeah, well, there you go. The breakup <laughs> song, I remember this video and I remember the crazy uh, Jeopardy video. Those are the two I remember. I like Greg Kim nowadays. I didn't hate him then. I was just into a whole different type of thing. So I don't know if I liked it as much as I do today, but I like it a lot today. Don't Let Him Go by Aria Speedwagon. And Pooney, get it right. It's high infidelity, not high fidelity. Oh, the, sorry. I apologize. <laughs> the record's high infidelity. And this is the song that drew me to that album. I absolutely love this song. Uh, I called the radio station requesting this one as well. This one was one where I just, yeah, to the kids that don't know, you used to have to call the radio station and request a song. And you would get it played uh, every so often. It wasn't a big corporate thing. If uh, you got through to the radio stations, they would play your song. But Grandpa, how did people call him without cell phones? <laughs> yeah, you use this stupid rotor phone <laughs> where you have to dial the numbers, dial, you know, crazy things. Urgent by Foreigner, absolutely fantastic album, absolutely fantastic song. Love it, love it, love it. And The Stroke by Billy Squire, same thing. Absolutely fantastic album and a great song as well. Probably not my favorite on the album, but it is what broke Billy Squire. This one was a tough list for me to choose my favorite because it really comes down to Don't Let Him Go, Urgent, and The Stroke. Those three songs I absolutely love. So it was really tough for me. If I have to pick one, I think probably Urgent by Foreigner is the one that I would go to uh, the most out of this list. So yeah, great group of songs. This is Hollywood at KFUC, where the rock rolls. It's your dime. Spill it. Um, Mr. Hollywood, can you play Don't Let Him Go by Ario Speedwagon? What's your name, son? My name is Steven. Well, Steven, stop listening to that soft shit like Ario and stop calling here every damn hour. You're starting to piss me off. Um, but sir, you have to. Hello? Hello? Hey, darling, spin that right there. Next, yeah. Yeah, 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 that one, that one. Cue up Urgent. We're going to show this little Steven what's going on and what real music is. Thank you. 
So on these episodes, we always talk all of the songs in the top 10, no matter what genre they are, because it's important to the story, right? Just so happens in this top 10, the number one song is the only one that you might even consider rock. The rest are not. So number 10, Queen of Hearts by Juice Newton. Uh, Number nine, Hearts by Marty Balin. Good luck trying to figure out who the hell that is. Number eight, Boy from New York City by the Manhattan Transfer and never heard it till the other day. Number seven, it was the number one song at one point, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Everybody knows that song. Number six, Slow Hand by the Pointer Sisters. Number five, in its peak week, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. Number four, I Don't Need You by Kenny Rogers. Number three, an excellent theme song called Greatest American Hero, Believe It or Not, by Joey Scarberry. Yes, Mike Post wrote it by Joey Scarberry actually sang it. Number two was my mom's favorite band, Air Supply, the one that you love. And at number one on 8181 was one of my favorites of all time, Rick Springfield with Jesse's Girl. I absolutely love this song. I have killed this song at karaoke in good way and bad, sober and drunk. And I'm telling you, every woman loves this song. And it's off his fifth studio album, Working Class Dog. Rick's already been in the business for 10 plus years by the time he gets noticed. And he's about to go on a run of four platinum selling albums in a row. He'd actually already took up an acting career because his music career wasn't really panning out. There's an autobiography, 2010, it got released, Late, Late at Night, a memoir by Rick Springfield. I'm telling you, it is an unbelievably excellent, vulnerable read. He talks about some stuff that no way you ever knew about Rick Springfield, which is great. And Jesse's Girl ended up being his only number one hit, and he did win a Grammy for it. I know you love that song. It's my favorite off this list. Don't tell me you like that stupid Marty Balin song better. How do you not love Jesse's Girl? Come on. I can still hear this song all these years later, and I still love it. So let's talk, uh, because this is where my quote-unquote old ass will help educate you. Super old ass. Super old ass. (laughs) Will help educate you on a couple of things. Come on, sonny boy, sit on my knee, and I'll tell you a little bit about some of these people. All right, Queen of Hearts, Juice Newton. It's a famous song. Yeah, it's okay. I don't know if she ever had another hit. Uh, Maybe one or two. They escaped me. Hearts by Marty Ballin. Uh, I hated the song at the time. Now I think it's okay all these years later. So Marty Ballin is one of the original founders of Jefferson Airplane. So he's the guy that's in on the ground floor with Paul Kantner and Grace Slick. He was just there at the original when it was called Jefferson Airplane, which was the first version of what became Jefferson Starship and then Starship. That's really all I know about Marty Ballin. Like I said, Hearts is just kind of, it's okay. Boy from New York City, Manhattan Transfer. This is one of those fun songs. I mean, it's a vocal song. This is where those bands, those acts like the Pentatonics, that's why they do well these days is because of bands like the Manhattan Transfer, where it was all about just vocals and doo-wop, kind of the whole Sha-na-na, even Huey Lewis in the news a little bit. But Boy from New York City, fun tune. Betty Davis Eyes, I had this 45. So (laughs) it was a hugely popular song at the time, and I loved it. Slow Hand by the Pointer Sisters. I liked some of the Pointer Sisters stuff. Slow Hand wasn't one of my more favorite ones. I like the more upbeat Pointer Sisters stuff. 
Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. I'll probably go ahead and have to give away my rock card at this point because I love this too. Who doesn't like a um bapa um bapa um bapa mau mau? Come on, Sonny. Sing it. ba roo to <laughs> I do it. I do it. But it's fun. And I loved it at the time. Now it's just kind of funny. But when you're young, when you're 14 years old, you know, it is what it is. And don't forget, I grew up in the South. So uh, the Oak Ridge Boys uh, were a gospel country band uh, at the time. And this is one of those uh, songs. I Don't Need You by Kenny Rogers. I don't know that I've ever heard this song. I can't place the song. I listened to it today and I still couldn't place it. So although it charted well and did well, I don't think it was one of his more famous tunes. I mean, Kenny Rogers had a lot of big tunes, The Gambler and uh, Islands in the Sun and all this other stuff, but uh, I don't remember this song. So, you know, it's okay. I like Kenny Rogers' voice, but it's just okay. Absolutely love the theme from The Greatest American Hero. When this song came out, don't forget, there aren't a lot of superheroes around on TV. There aren't superhero movies. and super- You had to get up Saturday morning and watch cartoons for your superheroes. So there wasn't a whole lot of that stuff going on like it is today. I mean, today you can throw a rock and, and hit a superhero movie or TV show or something like that. So this is kind of early. And although it was more of a kind of comedy slash drama type thing, as mostly comedy, really. But this song reminds me of like you could hear Christopher Cross singing this song. Totally. It has that whole Arthur feel to it, ride the wind feel to the chord structure of this song. I really love this song. Enough's Enough did a great cover of this tune. Look at what's happened to me. Oh, I can't believe it myself. Just me. 
The one that you love, Air Supply, uh, they had a lot of hits. They were never one of my favorite, but I respected them. I actually seen them in concert. Talk about really a snooze fest. That's kind of a snooze fest to see Air Supply live. You know, not a whole lot going on there. <laughs> Needless to say, there were no dragons shooting lasers out of their eyes at an Air Supply concert. And then cap it off with Jesse's Girls by Rick Springfield. Like I said, Jesse's Girl uh, sort of crossed over to that rock audience, that pop audience. It's just a fantastic song. I don't know that I can ever see this song the same way after Boogie Nights, but I love it still the same. Jesse is a friend. Been a good friend of mine But lately something's changed It ain't hard to define Jesse's got himself a girl And I wanna make her mine And she's watching me with those eyes And she's loving with that body I just know it And he's holding her in his arms Late, late at night Start talking cute I want to tell her that I love her But the point is probably moot Cause she's watching him with those eyes And she's loving him with that body I just know it And he's holding her in his arms Late, late at night So other things going on on 8181, 
there's no football because it's August. There's no basketball because it's August. So baseball is playing, right? Well, no, because they are coming to the end of a three-month player strike. And so there is no baseball right now. The popular movies right now are Arthur, which you mentioned, Dudley Moore, right? Mm-hmm. And Escape from New York, which is a brutal movie. I saw it the other day. I'm like, what is the hubbub about this shit movie? I don't think it's fair to assess a movie like Escape from New York in 2021. And here's why. When that movie came out, that was a big movie for my I'll say childhood. Yeah, I was 14 years old, but that was a big movie when you're 14, 15, 16 years old in 1981. There hasn't been all this other stuff at the time that you can compare to it. So at the time it came out, uh, it was a cool movie. Uh, And Arthur was a great movie as well. Arthur was hilarious. So it's kind of hard to compare movies in 1981 after everything that's happened over the years between then and now. Yeah, I still think that that movie was great. If I watched it today, I'd probably have similar feelings to what you just said. And it's not the tech and the sci-fi for me. It's the horrible, horrible acting. (laughs) It is so overdone. It is ridiculous. Number one TV show at the time, The Jeffersons. I watched The Jeffersons. Did you watch The Jeffersons? Moving on up, baby, of course. Yeah, that's right. Love it. And then the number one album on 8181 was Long Distant Voyager by the Moody Blues. Talk about a faceless band. Couldn't tell you one thing about the Moody Blues, right? So don't know that album. may never heard it. I could tell you one thing about them. I don't really like them. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been a Knights in White Satin fan. All right. Well, I wish they were on strike at the time, but Kiss was doing stuff. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, 8181, Kiss is in the middle of recording that pile of shit we call music from the elder. So they know that MTV's around. So Kiss goes out and makes two videos. They make a video for I, and they make a video for World Without Heroes. The problem is, is that Polygram's one of the two major record companies that refuses to give MTV any free videos. So Polygram didn't change their mind until like April of 82, when the KISS videos finally got handed to MTV, nobody cares about KISS, and, you know, ultimately, it's the piece of shit, The Elder. (laughs) So, since I don't want to play anything from that piece of shit pile of trash, The Elder, yes, I said that again, we're going to go with a cover instead. So here is Mike Dupke on drums, Boot on bass, John Sepetus on guitar, and our friend Ryan Cook on vocals. Here is Hair of the Dog with their version of I.
say things like this to girls. Everybody's got rock and roll pneumonia! One of possibly three songs on that album that I can actually stomach. Uh, I like I, I like it on the elder, but I really like the hair of the dog version of this song. It's heavier. uh, It's more modern sounding from a recording standpoint. And I like the little tribute breakdown thing, whatever you want to call it. That's sort of in the middle there where they, you know, play a couple of other kiss songs along with it. I dig it. Yeah, I think they did that. They're like, if we don't do something with this song, nobody's going to listen. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, but nice little part one to the episode. I think it's interesting to see there's not a ton of rock on 8181 as this thing takes off. But when you come back to us next week, you're going to see some differences, and it's just four years later. You know, this is the dawn of a brand new generation. Call it the MTV generation, call it the video generation. But just think, in 1981, when this thing launched, would you think that in 2021, MTV already ran its course, but now you've got YouTube and you've got all this other video format as the internet grew and the bandwidth grew and videos became more a viable thing to look back and think this is where it started is amazing to me. And I'm looking forward to next week because uh, it'll be cool to match these uh, two episodes together. So thanks for joining us for part one, which was August 1st, 1981, the day that MTV launched music television. And next week we'll get into August 1st, 1985. Four years later. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback. And we will see you next week. See you later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.